Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of Like Razorblade Pie. My name's Michael Swaim. I'll be your intrepid host, and I wanted to open up with a little spiel about why I'm doing this show, what I hope to get out of it, because I realize it's an odd choice. We usually cover movies, comic books, pop culture, and uh, although speculative fiction is my favorite form of short fiction, um, it's not really in the zeitgeist as much as maybe superheroes are, for example. Um, But I have always said, and I've said on this network several times, sometimes I feel like I should have been born in the, well, 30s, so I'd be coming of age in the 50s and 60s, when there was this entire medium that was completely killed by television, which were uh, short fiction published in magazines. And you could make your entire living doing that. And... uh, an especially an especially ripe area was speculative fiction or sci-fi. I call it speculative fiction because Harlan Ellison, about whom this podcast is, hated the term sci-fi, and we'll get into that a little bit and, and find out why. But f- growing up, I was obsessed with short science fiction stories. I liked that you could knock them out in a single sitting, uh, I think it's part of the reason I've become so obsessed with film, because a lot of people compare films to novels, but if you're going to be honest, the length of a novel, like that narrative experience, much more akin to a series, because it goes so long, whereas a short story, that's a bit, you read it in about two hours, and so I, I've always compared the experience of watching a film to the experience of reading a short story, and the short story is a very special form to me, and Of all the great practitioners of classic speculative fiction shorts, I think the very best of the best is a guy named Harlan Ellison. Now, if you haven't heard of Harlan, uh, by all accounts, he was a small, awkward, angry man that most people did not enjoy being around or talking to. Um, But his fiction is just pure, unmitigated imagination. He was highly experimental. He ended up writing for... Uh, TV shows, you know, he ended up sort of serving the industry that killed where he started out, which is he ended up writing for Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, and the original Star Trek series. And beyond that, he edited many anthologies. He's basically a a giant in the field of speculative fiction, a field that mm, arguably no longer exists. Of course, friends of the network Robert Brockway and Jason Parjan are doing great work in that field, but in the form of novels. And you don't get a lot of short sci-fi anymore. So this is a, a reading group, a book club, but it's a short it's a short little bitty book club. And my hope is that if you'd like to join us on this adventure, you can read along. I'll always be posting ahead of time what we're going to read. It will always be a Harlan Ellison short story. And I will pair that short story with a guest that I think it applies especially to. Uh, I think we're ready to dive in. I'm just doing this off the cuff. Oh, there's one more thing I really want to point out, which is um, that, of course, I have done a podcast I was very lucky to be a part of with Alex Schmidt called Kurt Vonnegut. Check that out if you don't know it, about the works of Kurt Vonnegut. And at the beginning of every episode of that podcast, Alex would say, this is a a show about Kurt Vonnegut because he's the greatest author of all time. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't address that because Vonnegut also traditionally wrote in the genre of speculative fiction. I think Kurt Vonnegut, please don't hate hate me retroactively, Alex. I think Kurt Vonnegut is the best author of all time. (laughs) (laughs) But Harlan Ellison is my favorite author of all time, and that's because I like weird stuff. I like 
I like feats of great imagination, and I like people who approach the world with an open heart and an open mind. And I think Harlan Ellison really embodies all those things in his writing, especially the pure, unfettered imagination aspect. It seemed like he was tuned into some other universe uh, in all of his writing. He just comes up with the wildest shit that I can't believe anyone thought of. He's influenced my writing greatly. If you've heard either of my short story collections, uh, Sad and Important or No Side, I think you'll find his writing very familiar. So I decided to throw one of my best pals right into the deep end with a story called The Beast That Shouted Love at the Heart of the World that Harlan Ellison himself refers to as one of his most avant-garde short stories. He calls it an experiment in space-time. And we'll get into the story and what it means. But first, we've got to introduce my guest. And uh, I just want to say you're very brave. You're brave for doing (laughs) this first episode uh, and this particular story. It's a toughie. So please welcome Katie Stoll. Hi, Katie. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I said yes before I read it. So (laughs) I don't know about brave. Right? But just say yes to the universe. But you did yes. write me afterwards and go, are you sure? Yep. Are you sure you want me to do this? I, I did. I took a look at it and some of the questions you, I, I felt, I just felt that I needed to give you the option to backpedal because um, this isn't necessarily my forte, but I do love a reason to read something new. And this was definitely new for me. Do you have any love for, and no is a perfectly acceptable answer, do you have any love for science fiction, either like TV, movies, yeah, or Yeah, I do. And that's a literature. more recent uh, development as I got, you know, honestly, after working at Cracked and then being exposed to more genres, and uh, mm. I, I do, I, I love Battlestar Galactic. I love anything. I love anything with an adventure sci-fi oh. element. I do. Um, sometimes I feel... When I'm reading, sometimes it feels a, a pretty esoteric for me. And then I'm finding mm-hmm. myself rereading a lot. That's in the case of this short story in particular, I would say. Um, but I but I love the challenge and I find it to be a fascinating genre. And yeah. Excellent. And I just like to um, be well, immersed and entertained and taken to other worlds. Exactly. I think this story definitely does that. Whether it pieces the world together in an intelligible way is a different it's matter different. but it definitely yeah. takes you somewhere somewhere weird um yeah and even in the introduction to this story uh ellison mentions vonnegut which i was mm-hmm. very heartened by i felt like that was serendipitous uh for the launch of the auspicious for the launch of this book club short story club i don't know we'll figure out what to call it but um he refers to a Vonnegutism, which is FOMA or harmless untruths, <laughs> and says that those are for entertainment. I actually slightly disagree with him. Listen to Kurt Vonnegut, guys, if you want more insight on that. I think FOMA, Vonnegut meant they are, are untruths that we cling to to, to live and to be mm-hmm, good people. Mm-hmm. But regardless, Ellison says FOMA are for entertainment. The other type of stories are what I write, and they are here to tell you that as night approaches, we are all aliens down here on this alien earth, to tell you that writers about tomorrow must stop living in yesterday and work from their hearts and their guts and their courage to tell us about tomorrow before all the tomorrows are stolen Mm. away from us. God is within you. Save yourselves. Yeah. Good, right? Sorry. I interjected Uh, too soon because I thought the quote was done, but yeah, that's beautiful. Perfectly fine. 
Yeah, I love that thought. Um, but let's dive into the actual story. Enough beating around the sci-fi bush. Uh, what the hell do you think the beast that shouted love at the heart of the world was about, oh, Katie? Did boy. you get an intelligible story out of it? Did I get an intelligible story out of it? No, um, uh, especially not immediately. But then as the more I think about it and kind of play it over, you know, I felt almost like a poem to me. I don't know if that's a ridiculous thing to say. Not at all. Um, and, and, and I've liked the story more the more time has gone from me finishing the story uh, as I think about it. But what what is this about? To me, it's almost about the the primal nature of insanity or evil and how we are all amidst it. it I don't know. There's something just about how it is in us um, mm. and accepting like the humanity of all of us within that storm. I I'm, see, here I am using a lot of ridiculous sentences as well, but I can't... You can cut me saying ridiculous sentences, but I, it's hard to articulate exactly Never. what it was. Uh, that's what I love about it. Um, if I may synopsize it as Please. someone who's read it dozens of times, uh, to me, I do think... I think there's a puzzle... I think there are enough puzzle pieces there to connect that there there is a story... Uh, it's intentionally very, very obtuse, uh, and he calls it sort of a bunch of things happening simultaneously in his writings about this story. Another thing I love about Ellison, because I like answers, uh, and I don't really like meaningless yeah. style, um, he he often wrote essays where he just explained what his weirder stories like. This mm. is what I was thinking. And I love that. I love I, I love just the author coming out with it. And uh, he described it as a bunch of things happening simultaneously around the hub of a wheel, which is interesting to me because Vonnegut also in Slaughterhouse-Five, mm. of course, famously talks about the way these aliens of his Tralfamadorians view time and that for all we know, time is an illusion. And, you know, it's an old idea yeah. that every everything that we only view time linearly because of the limits of our perception and that everything that has happened will happen right. and everything is what it is. So if you imagine the story as that kind of structure, uh, it follows two weirdly. He loves weird sci fi names. We'll get Cody on here eventually. I think we'll really <laughs> love Ellison's names. Because he has dumbass names, man. So the two main characters in the center of the wheel uh, are characters called Simph <laughs> and Lena. And Simph and Lena exist in this place called the center uh, or the Concord. It's also referred to in this story that seems to be heavenly or perfect in some way. It's, it's hard to nail down, uh, but it feels like a place where... It's either the far, far future. He describes it as a hundred. He describes it as the center of a wheel, or if you want, he says, a hundred million years in the future. Mm -hmm. It's the same difference. So, uh, I read that line this, a few times. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> in this uh, center, let's call it in the Concord. There's these two characters, and the action of their scene that we see is that they track down and capture this thing that they call the maniac. That's a seven-headed dog-faced dragon, and they do what they call draining. They drain it. And while they're doing this, they argue philosophically about whether it's okay to do, because they, uh, the one character, I believe, Senf, is like, but by draining this, it has to go somewhere. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm flipping through trying to find the thing, but he basically says, by saving our nest, we foul all the other nests mm-hmm. ever that ever will exist. And nevertheless, the Concord decides to drain the maniac of its insanity and basically reduce it to nothingness. And Semf uh, does something to sabotage that process. Again, this is all very abstract and sci-fi. Yeah, I really got hung up on this. <laughs> like, what did yeah. he do? <laughs> but yes, yeah. he he gets. Well, he's described as his body becomes like a wrinkled paper bag and he's like withers away. So he Mm -hmm. does something. He stands in the way of the beam or whatever. Um, But metaphorically, Senf stops the process of drainage temporarily. And then we get other scenes where we cut back and forward in time and all around space. And we find out things like Attila the Hun, and this is historically accurate, Attila the Hun was going to sack Rome and then for reasons that aren't fully historically understood, decided not to. The Attila the Hun turned his army back and conquered other stuff instead. And the implication, I think, that Harlan Helson's trying to make is that self-sacrifice briefly stopped the madness or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, the insanity, the evil, from leaking into other parts of the universe of of space time right if the center is the center then everything else is the hub of the wheel and we also start the story with a pretty horrific montage Mm -hmm. of a guy named william sterog yeah how so how'd that hit you the first passage oh i was i i mean i mean i i hated it i didn't hate it but obviously this is a, a horrifying <laughs> first right. first few paragraphs um and it was you know presented so nonchalantly um and then we pivoted away from that so fast um yeah yeah i i don't know this isn't a good well, answer how did it hit me i there's was waiting no bad to answer see what happened that's the joy of it <laughs> Yeah, well, I was worried when I started rereading the story. I was worried. I was like, I hope Katie doesn't think ill of me for putting this in front of their face because, no. yeah, the opening is basically a madman going on a killing spree, and it's pretty upsetting. Yeah, but it, it of course, it, I mean, it is. But we think about madmen and killing sprees a lot. But I, I, I was curious if this was going to be a conversation or a piece about, um, about madness and about. Oh, mm-hmm misplacing the, the 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 line between good and evil and love and hate and how you can love somebody love something and destroy it you know so i was curious if that's what this was building towards and in many ways it is uh, yeah i think it definitely that's right on the money because uh the implication by the end at least my understanding is that the drainage process in the center causes madness to leak out into the rest of the universe. And William Sterog is a victim of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, at his sentencing, when he's sentenced to death at his trial, he screams, but I love you. I love you all. I swear Mm -hmm. to God, I love you. And later, we also have Semph tell Lena, you are damning the rest of the universe and you claim you're doing it for love because Lena represents the side of the Concord that says, well, we have to drain, we have to drain the evil and the madness away from here because this is our sacrosanct space. We finally made it to heaven. This is a space where there isn't hate and madness and illness and insanity. We have to keep it that way, uh, even at the cost of 
you know, they argue, they say, well, the center holds. And if the center holds, maybe one day we can expand it until it fills the universe and there actually isn't hate and madness yeah. and greed and all these things. Um, but in the meantime, we're causing these things. We're directly causing it by shifting evil is a, they say evil is a, insanity is a substance and we're mm -hmm. shifting it from one place to another. And of course the story ends with uh, a guy in a bombed out post-apocalyptic warehouse finding a box and opening it and some kind of fog comes out that we know is the evil that was drained from the maniac. And it says, and the very next day, World War Four started. Right. And I think this, I and mean, that hit since, me today. I mean, not today. I was going to say this week, you know, yeah, with, with everything that's happening. Right. Since I assigned the story, Ukraine has been invaded. Yeah. And I think it's more relevant now than ever. And I, I, I don't really know what to say about that beyond mm -hmm. there's some resonance there. For well, sure. It's, and it's just how do you explain the inexplicable actions of people? How do you... I think that we're mm -hmm. all the resonance for me in the, the sheer senselessness of what's happening uh, while the whole world is watching. The other thing about this, that the thoughts that popped up, especially in these conversations of like, oh, draining the evil, but we want to protect our center for there's this place of purity or whatever, where there's no madness. Mm -hmm. But it does speak to a lot of our, you know, especially here in America, but just this idea of mm -hmm. like, us versus them or like we have to protect ourselves but we're all connected so you know it, it's not about america it's not about russia it's like we are a world community like we actually have much bigger things to to focus on climate change what's happening <laughs> to us that we right. we need each other anyway i'm getting way off topic but just in general this short story hit me in that sense of like we we think about um ourselves and not the rest of humanity. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure if evil is a zero sum game, meaning like this, the basic supposition this story makes is that if you exercise evil or madness from yourself, it goes somewhere, mm -hmm. which of course is a sci-fi concept. That's not our understanding of how insanity works, but, what if it was, <laughs> or, you know, right, it right. is an apt, it's an apt metaphor for the fact that we're all connected and your actions have consequences far beyond anything you can necessarily yeah. predict. And I think it really, this time reading it, it really, the title became such a key to me because Semph tells Lena, you think you're doing something good because you're protecting all your loved ones, um, but it is hurting other people far away from you. And that is, you know, you are a beast and you're at the heart of the world and you are shouting love, but it's not like the the shadow of love is hate almost mm -hmm. or there's um, there's a tug of war there. And of course, the other big image we get that sort of ties the whole thing up and now you've basically heard all the elements of the story, dear listener, is that as he is executed uh, similarly to William Sterog, by his society, the Concord, <clears throat> Semph says to Lena, you know, when we die, when one when a member of the Concord dies, it's traditional to erect a monument. Can you please erect a monument not of me, but of someone who this hurt? Of someone, I would rather there be a memorial of someone hmm. 
that who who was harmed by this drainage process and previously in the story which makes it extra confusing you sort of have to piece the story together in a different order than you read it um we find out that at some point in the far future there's this spacefaring you know group that find on a bombed out planet this weird statue of William Sterog the mass murderer and i think that you have to like connect and assume that that's Senf's monument, right? So yes. that implies that William Sterog meant it when he said, I love you all, mm-hmm. and that he was actually afflicted by insanity from the outside. And that just resonates so deeply with me in the sense that when there is something like unmitigated evil, like, I don't know, for me, Tim McVeigh always comes to mind, mm. uh, you know, blowing up children, like as evil as you can possibly get. A thought that I don't necessarily think should be your first thought, because, of course, you have to like the your empathy has to first go to the victims. But mm-hmm. a thought that's always mixed up in that whole mess for me is what a nightmare it must be to have been living that yes. to be in Tim McVeigh's mind to yep. think this is necessary. And that's really an important exercise, I think, uh <laughs> important exercise but I, I do think and I think about it a lot uh, you know I, I I think about people that go to um, you know, sexual predators or you know pedophiles mm-hmm. a lot of people that grapple with this huge shame and they have this thing that they don't know how to deal with and it's destroying their life there are you know not that I need to have sympathy for somebody's terrible actions but for the trauma and the damage that led to where they are there, you know, and that we all have things that we struggle with. And, mm-hmm. and when we look at people in black and white, we forget. And then we, and it's a risk because then we're not, we continue to ignore that. Like, I mean, are there things that we can do as a society to help people, you know, or is it just this, insanity that's been flung from the heavens that we can't control you know but this that moment of erecting a statue to me it and I don't know if I'm reading this properly but uh that moment was like it like it was a reminder to people that you know that we are both, that there is heaven and hell in us um I don't know here I go rambling again this is exactly what I want out of this show. You gotta stop <laughs> okay, self-censoring. So yeah, do you well, let me ask the question on my top of my questions list. Why with all that said, do you have an inkling as to why I paired this story with you? Uh perhaps because of uh watching what's happening in the world and uh the question of good and evil, because that's around us a lot right now. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And uh, definitely comes from your current work on what I call Katie's Shady, but some call Cody's Shady. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're someone who is currently taking it upon themselves to sort of sift through data about humanity. Yeah. And I imagine something you think about a lot, Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is like, are we salvageable? Is there more good or more evil? Right. Or why can't we slow this process of, of all the negative things that seem to happen? And 
how, what can we do? And I do think you're spot on talking about like that American idea of the shining city on the hill or at least not here. And I'm guilty of it too, man. When I, when I heard the Ukraine news and World War III is trending, we're all, we're all inherently selfish to some degree, or at least we can only exist from within our own bodies, right? So I am, I take comfort I take guilty comfort in the fact that I'm like, at least I'm safe in America where right. we're so powerful that it's unlikely, you know, that are like, right. hopefully the, hopefully the fighting stays over there. And man, that really speaks to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, because of course, on, on the other plane, you're aware that every human being is like you and is a full human being thinking their thoughts and not wanting to die in agony. Like, mm-hmm. every, you know, Absolutely. Um, have you have you changed your opinion about humanity's essential goodness or evilness uh, hmm. through working on some yeah, more news at all? I have, unfortunately. Um, Which way has that tipped? And I'm, for and you? I and I it's I, I would my answer is very gray, but for the majority of my life, I felt pretty confident that people were predominantly good and that most people were good deep Mm -hmm. down and driven by good intentions. And I don't believe that anymore. (laughs) Um, I do believe that I probably the majority, most people are operating within their value system and that's, what's difficult. So I also believe that I can't judge everybody. Like I, I used to that things can't be so black and white. Um, Mm -hmm. And that a real problem that we have is jumping to a conclusion about a person uh, without understanding X, Y, or Z as to what got them there. But at the same time, that there are people that are irredeemable, (laughs) that like have done too Mm -hmm. much, that, I mean, Putin is a really good example of, you know, somebody that you can't communicate with and I, and, and genuinely scares me. Um, that's not, well, yeah, to especially because all, all you had to do was not like, yeah. don't do anything. Just stay still. You don't need the, you, you don't need Ukraine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but it's like, why do you have, why do you even have to do a thing? Right. You know, right. you, you already have-, have all this power and money. You're good, man. Just do nothing. Like chill. And, right. And then, and then I also go even just like with everything else, I also know that Putin was probably a little boy at some point who had terrible shit happen to him. And that sucks for anybody to have experienced that, but that doesn't justify your actions later in life or whatever. I just mean that, that we are all complex people that probably have capacity to do good things, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's, you know, what's the balance? What are you actually putting out in the world? What do you want to, to, you know, I, I, yeah. Because we have to, and we and we do have to have those conversations with ourselves on a smaller level. I'm really just rambling. I know I'm not editing either because I think it's interesting, but it's it's like there's always a calculation in our day to day lives. I know I shouldn't use Amazon. I know the problems with Amazon. Sometimes I need to do it because of X, Y, or Z. You know, like there's different trade offs, mm. and how evil is that? Participating in a evil corporation, you know. So there's questions like that that I think about a lot with my work as well. Right. Well, we're 
gifted or cursed with a sense of right and wrong. And we all, to some degree, are hypocrites on that mm-hmm. front, even the people trying to do good or feel that they do more good than evil in the world, I guess. It just and, is like a balance you well, try to maintain. I know that you love um, Patriot on Amazon Prime because we've talked mm-hmm. about it before, but I think about that a lot also. Um, gosh, what's the... I don't remember the f- term or the metaphor that they had, but it's a basically like when you try to solve one problem, but then there's all X, Y, Z exponential and other new problems that pop up. So oh yeah. The inherent difficulty mm-hmm. of getting from point A to point B. Yeah. 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 Their catchphrase. And yeah. just the, the unintended consequences of an action that seems like your best possible choice in the moment, you know, and then we mm-hmm. have to grapple with that. And it's wild to me to meditate on the fact that I don't know for sure, but I suspect that a lion doesn't feel guilt when it eats mm-hmm. a zebra and the zebra screams or no. whatever noise a zebra makes yeah. when it's being eaten alive. Um, so there's this like, I do believe in evolution. I believe we're animals. I believe we're just fancy animals, part of the natural world. So that invites this question of, is everything an illusion? Like, is is good and evil does it matter? I believe it does. It does to me. It feels like it does. I act as if it does. Um, but well, we does need it guiding exist? principles this... to right. maintain our but sanity is it, in society. But is it just a complicated form of self-interest? Like, do you feel good about doing good because it makes mm. it leads to more yeah. survival outcomes for your species? Yeah. You know, like there's there were studies that showed that, as you might expect, People care more about, people are more ready to empathize with their child Mm -hmm. than they are with a stranger's child. But it also breaks down along shared gene lines, meaning like you're more likely to, you're more likely to empathize or sympathize with your nephew than a neighbor's child. Like it breaks down and, you know, uh, Jason (laughs) Parginate, aka David Wong, did a great one of his biggest articles of all time about the monkey sphere, the idea that you only have so much empathy in you and it extends out in echelons to the point where you're like, well, that's just an acquaintance. Then to the point where you're mm-hmm. like, well, that's just some poor person in a different country. Uh, I care I care theoretically about them, but it's I don't feel it in my gut. It's a disassociation almost. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And it makes you wonder like, Growing up, my dad always said that he was so proud that it seems like over the long term, humanity is self-domesticating and Hmm. getting better and better. I don't know that I believe that anymore. I don't even know if he believes that anymore. He probably doesn't. I've been talking about this this week, not in the exact same phrasing, Mm but it's looking at at the events of this week uh, in Europe and like I, what did I say today is like I I know that wars are possible and I know that we've been in war but this kind of a war this kind of a major conflict from a superpower an invasion like a conquering quest kind of a thing feels so medieval mm-hmm. to me and World War Two, my narrative that I've accepted from World War Two is that we've learned something that we've got protections in place and that this can't happen now and that's because I've been raised in a post-Cold War life, you know, where yeah. that wasn't, I didn't have that. That I've been raised to be like, we're so lucky that we live now when this is over. 
And so it's really been, but you know, this past few years, Michael, I, things that I didn't think were possible are absolutely fucking possible. And so it's right. shaking like my sense one of the most powerful countries in the world yeah. just saying, we want more land. We're going to attack. We're going to attack. And like, you're like, wow, that seems old-fashioned almost. Yeah. And we're not stopping it so far. We'll see what happens. And I understand the reasons mm-hmm. why not. I'm not saying that we need to escalate the conflict, but it's just, um, it's hard. It's hard to accept. It's heartbreaking. And, yeah. Well, yeah, for the record, we're recording this on February 26th. Right. 2022. And I say that because this will come out in a few weeks and who the fuck knows knows what will be going on. Right. Yeah. Hi. But it's one thing I was going to say is that that (laughs) at some point that you were you were talking about, I don't know, like decision making process. I don't know. It reminded me of this uh, conversation I had in college where we're talking about. um, uh, Gosh, not empathy cut this part where I'm asking you for a word, um, doing altruism. Okay. Reset this. Like, Mm. so I was in college and we were talking about altruism. If it's even possible, like, can you do something for another person and it's purely altruistic and, or is it to make yourself feel a good feeling? And that was the person that was saying that everyone argued with me. And I was like, no, I mean, I do things for other people because, I like to do things for other people. I'm very happy that other people are benefits both, you know, like I want to, I'm happy um, to be here on this podcast because I know that it's good for you, my dear friend. And that makes me feel good. Also, this is fun to do, but you know what I mean? It's both, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, and that's and okay. F- the I corollary think. I always wonder about, and I hate to say this, but I honestly picked this idea up from a Dilbert comic strip, <laughs> which was, uh, I used to love Dilbert. In high school, I would Me walk too. around reading Dilbert all day. Um, fuck Scott Adams in his current iteration, sure, yep, yep. but still. Uh, Dogbert is talking to Dilbert about how uh, can there really be justice? Is justice an illusion? Because... Uh, he goes like, do you believe in personal culpability? And the thought experiment is like, of course I do. If you kill someone, then you have to be put in jail. That makes sense to me. Okay. But if the person killed the person because of their entire life history and the composition of the chemicals in their brain, are they really guilty? Like if Mm. you, whatever is I, whatever is your identity, your soul, the thing inside you that makes you tied to that body... If you were raised in the exact same conditions and your brain were chemically identical to theirs, you would also have done that. So, like, is there such a thing as justice or are there merely things that are conducive to society surviving? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we it's possible to say we execute people like Tim McVeigh because it's like ridding the world of illness. It's not to get justice it's not to get revenge it's like you know i i i'm a firm believer that like i mean honestly i believe in the abolition of prisons because i think there are better ways we could address this kind of behavior but i do understand the idea that if someone's behavior is volatile and harmful to those around them we have a right to somehow address that or cordon them off or blah 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 but i've never understood the idea of eye for an eye or this is good this will make it fair 
You know what I mean? It's always just felt like hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, And I, I agree with you. And I think the corollary of that is, are you responsible for anything good? You know, like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I gain, I gain pleasure from the fact that I think of myself as whatever, uh, smart or funny or whatever. And then I'll think, yeah, but any other soul could have been in my body or anyone. It's not, I didn't earn it. (laughs) I was just (laughs) born into a life where I got the right nutrients and education and grew up funny or, or, you know, in the case of many comedians, like I would, certain things were withheld from me and I felt the deep (laughs) sense of need for validation and it made me funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So like a lot of speculative fiction that I think goes all the way to the heart of good versus evil, I come away with it to quote Vonnegut with like a, the more I investigate my own beliefs, the more they become undifferentiated mush. Like I am a pacifist, I am a humanist and so on. But all these things mean nothing. And yet they mean everything because they are the fabric of our very lives. Yeah. I think I'm not a Buddhist, but you know, it's an acceptance of both things. Like all of these things can be true. And I think it's important. Mm -hmm. You can be grateful for what you have and have an awareness that it's bigger than you and beyond you. And you're not special because of it. Um, It's humility, Mm -hmm. which I think is not everybody has enough awareness to access, but that, you know, like it's, I'm very grateful for everything that I've been given and what I've worked hard for but it's all a culmination of my unique set of circumstances. And it's not because I'm special. It's because I'm lucky, you know, and the very, or the very idea of specialness may be it doesn't just exist. a side effect of our, right. The right, that's side like effect how we of the way our brains work. Like there's some explanation that we give of like why something, you know, or it's, or it's also, I guess, culturally something that we, you know, we like to single out people. We like to celebrate people. We like to, you know, <laughs> aspire mm-hmm. to be like people. Um, but then you're not, oh boy, I'm really in the weeds here, but yeah. Perfect. We carry, <laughs> we, carry we all carry this. Yes. Um, I'm going to read a little passage that Lena says, and this is their argument for, for releasing evil out into the universe. Uh, and I want to ask you how you, th- yeah, if, if, if we compare the Concord in this story to America, mm-hmm. uh, or Western culture as a whole, what do you think of this? If Lena says, if we can begin it here, if we can pursue our boundaries outward, then perhaps one day, sometime we can reach to the ends of time with that little chance until then it is better to have one center where there is no madness. Mm-hmm. And this story sort of presents that as almost a selfish view. Uh, And I wonder what you think about, like, hmm, the relative safety that some, I'm trying to be careful with my language, but the relative safety and plenty that some people in America enjoy, demographically mostly white, and then, you know, men to a higher degree than female facing people and like so on down the thing but like relative safety and happiness do you think it is is that infectious like does holding on to does tending your own garden 
and making sure your neighborhood, your at least, you know, or your friends or your monkey mm-hmm. sphere is doing well. Do you think that's a zero sum game? Do you think that my happiness or your happiness comes at the expense of others? Or do you, I like to no. think that it feeds, that it like resonates yeah. and, and increases the chances for other people's happiness. But at the same time, like you talk about the Amazon thing, that's it's really convenient. That's really helpful for me. Well, that definitely hurts other people yep. that I order something on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It necessitates shitty jobs that they won't allow to unionize mm-hmm. and pee in and water bottles and shit. Um, so sometimes it does feel like there's only so much safety to go around. Yeah. I or think... is that a false? Yeah. How do you feel no, about that? No, I think all of this... Well, I I also don't think there's one answer, but it's a lot of things. Um, right. Um, and you you made a lot of good points in what you were just saying. And I'll start with like tending to your own garden. I do think that that is true. I do think that you have to to start just on in every level of your life. You have to start with yourself. That's me being that's my self care journey. And I don't mean that in a woo woo positive mm-hmm. way. I mean like vital. At the end of the day partners, children, parents, family, I've got myself that I know will be there Mm. (laughs) until the very end. And so I have to care for that. And then it starts going out from that. Okay. My family and making sure that our finances are taken care of. And like the people that I, you know, that are a part of who I am are okay. That's important, but it doesn't stop there. I think that that's all part of being a good member of community and society is that then you also need to, what you have to share you, I feel a moral imperative to share and that can change and look different. That's just like philosophically. But then when you apply it Mm -hmm. to America, I think that uh, America, oof, boy, this is tricky. (laughs) Right? You know, but like, it's like in the construct that we have, we've lived in a world with borders and nationalities and like there's a real... uh, case to be made about none of that and that we should all just be a united humanity but that's not the world we live in um and and we do have to make sure that americans are taken care of which they aren't um Mm -hmm. but it is also our duty to lead the world uh and to share with the world what we can let's look at the pandemic we are not through this pandemic as in America, unless we're through this pandemic globally. And so many reasons why this has not been contained is because of uh, like, well, okay, vaccine rollout and and in inequity to countries that don't have as much um, wealth and access. Mm-hmm. and and nobody's really doing much about that. So, it's both things are true, you know? Ugh. Right. Does that and I think uh, things. Totally. One reason I like speculative fiction is it often takes a very long view and uh, reminds us that our greatest connection is that of in the entire infinite vastness of the universe, we all live in the same atmospheric mm-hmm. envelope. We all mm-hmm. live in a tiny bubble 
and we are absolutely connected to someone on the other side of the globe. We're intimately connected to the bees and the flowers, and, yeah. you know, Ooh, it's all I, one thing. I mean, we're connected like, energetically. We're connected. I do believe that. People roll their eyes at me, but I believe in that there's a lot that I, I'm not religious, mm-hmm. um, but I believe that there's a lot I don't understand. And I believe there's a lot about, well, this is going to get woo-woo, but yeah. I've always believed there's more about human brain waves mm-hmm. than we understand. Yep. Like people always, I wouldn't be shocked to find that the electrical impulses of our brains interact with one another yeah. in ways that we don't yet understand yeah. and that that's scientific, not religious. I agree. I agree. And I think that we just don't have the information and people shut it down and Fair, mm-hmm. but I think that that's within the world of possibility more so than, you know, a god that's punishing certain people for not, you know, swearing fealty to him. You know, <laughs> like right. like that like like that god that makes me need to, you know, I have to be Christian in order to get into heaven. I don't think that's a club I want to be a part of. Um, is kind of how I feel, but, mm-hmm. but this idea of, of connectedness and, and, and accepting that there's not a lot that I understand. I can, I can open my mind and heart to that, um, yeah. interconnectedness, but then also just in the world we live in, it's not just energetically or woo woo. We're talking about literally we're connected. Everything that's happening in Russia will have an impact on us, even if the war, you know, shelling isn't oh, happening yeah. here, you know, we're seeing that with, I mean, the and COVID also yep. brought to light, you know, supply lines. I think we're all painfully aware, people especially who live mm-hmm. in uh, nice circumstances, that like, I can't build a computer, I can't sew clothes, right. I can't make a television. Like, we're, we are dependent on <laughs> yeah. the entire history of striving humans for all the things that we are born into. And why uh, it's so hard to, to sanction degree. Russia, because... Okay, we do this, then okay, that's a cascading effect throughout Europe anyway. We all get it, but yeah. it's just also complicated. I'll tell you what depressed me. It was like I was searching for news about the invasion, and at least on the first day, when you Googled what, like Russia Ukraine news, I swear to God, all the top articles were about how it affected the stock market yeah. or gas oh, prices. Man. Or or cryptocurrency yeah. markets, and I'm like, that is not what my heart is it's desperately ghoulish. needing info about. Yeah, it's like I need to know what's happening to the other human beings on this earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it makes you wonder. Are you a Wire fan? Did you watch The Wire? I never watched The Wire, and I keep thinking that I should, but it's been so long, and I know it's a lot of seasons. <laughs> but yeah, I, five but I, seasons. How many? But. Five seasons, oh, but a lot so of bad. episodes. Per- it's it's not so bad, and it's maybe the greatest television show ever made. I'll watch so it. You know what? I really am looking watching. for a show to watch now, and, and I'm overwhelmed because there's so many choices, but mm-hmm. I should just go back to the basics. Not that that's basic. I'll just I'll say this about The Wire, and the reason I bring it up is it sort of makes, unfortunately, it makes a very eloquent argument for why suffering will always be with us and the idea that because there's this model that humans get gooder and gooder because you know like 
even social media and the ability for technology has allowed us the ability to truly globalize and see these systems and see these connections. Mm-hmm. And like the invasion of Ukraine is in my face much more than it would have been in the 1910s or what yes, have you. Yes. Right. So so you do start to hopefully knock on wood, sort of develop the type of person whose behavior palette becomes globally informed and actually considers those things when making personal decisions in their life, considers the repercussions of something like, well, should I order this on Amazon? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I can do this instead, support a local bookseller or whatever. Um, that is an that is a view of humanity that always appealed to me naturally. And it's easy to have, especially when you're a young person in good circumstances to feel mm-hmm. like, yeah. Oh, humans get better and better and better. Like yeah. the dark ages were worse yeah. than it is now. So I guess in a thousand years, it'll be even better. No. The no. wire makes a very <laughs> compelling argument that because we can't know what is yeah. good news and bad news. And because we can't know what consequences our actions mm-hmm. will have. And because at the end of the day, everyone has to attend to their own self-interest, there will always be discord and conflict because even in an ideal society, you can't predict. Exactly, You could act in total good faith just for your self-interest, something that seems reasonable to do. And then a whole domino chain can mm-hmm. happen that ends with, someone getting shot in the back of the head in a parking lot. And you're like, well, I didn't know that was going to cause that. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, that's why this will, that's why there will never be paradise on earth. It's that, well, it's also that, uh, that Patriot thing again, the point A to point B, but there's also something like fish or something, jellyfish, jellyfish. That's what Mm. they said in the show where if you cut it off, they multiply. Um, and so Mm -hmm. then you've got all these other problems to deal with so much that you said to react to again. Um, this idea of of people getting better and that that's not possible. I think that I I think for a long time, <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that good exists without bad. And I mean, when you're sick, you don't value. I mean, you don't value being healthy ever as much as when you're sick. And uh, oh my god, yes, <laughs> joy doesn't exist without grief. It gives context for it. It adds, it deepens your joy. I think that you, f- mm. and so I don't think that there's, you ever fully solve anything. I think that that's the nature of our existence <laughs> is balancing both and how you navigate both. Um, if that makes sense. Um, totally. I guess I used to hope that people in the far future would have, would have solved quote unquote, it. figured out but life I don't think or we, whatever. We do. Yeah. I think that we can't escape our innate humanness. Um, and the fact that we're just made of matter and mm-hmm. like we're just dirt. Like we we're have very, to... very temporary. And there's not like yeah. and 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 that's also hinging on um, people remembering, which is also, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in the, there's lots of sci fi or different books that are about, you know, memory um and through Mm. the ages so the reason why things are cyclical is that you know you might have learned your lesson at one point but humanity forgets because all of a sudden we haven't lived through it we've just heard the stories you know and so or we actively 
mm-hmm. you know, refuse to treat, teach critical race theory. Or, that, <laughs> or like, exactly, whatever we actively it is. forget. We try to forget because it's uncomfortable. And like, it, we but that's also because the majority of us don't understand or don't know lessons that have been learned at the fall of Rome or whatever. I don't know that they had critical race theory, but whatever <laughs> it is that, you know. No, but I totally get what you're saying. Like, yeah, you can only cram so much knowledge. You can only cram so many lessons into your head in a lifetime. And so the circumstances yeah. of being alive and being a human might change, but the impulses. Um, I think I think that all all of our our time here on Earth is about balancing, uh, our struggling with our innate human humanness and <laughs> finding mm. balance in our life. Um, and the other thing that you said that I I think is right on as in terms of social media and like the world that we're living in now watching this unfold I've been thinking about that a lot as this is a different kind of access than we've ever had um I mean we've had access Mm. we have access to the different conflicts of course that have been happening but the same thing like oh people are on the street when a police officer murders a, a black man well we have a phone now and we're going to tweet about it and it's going to get a different level of attention. We've seen this in, you know, protest movements and, and uprisings in the Middle East and other places. And, and now the whole world is watching. We don't get away with yeah. things like we used, like governments don't like, like, and, and there's been a lot of criticism of Biden's strategy of like declaring what, uh, you know, black broadcasting Russia's plans. Well, we all know, and we're all watching. And so, mm-hmm. and the whole world is against him and it's important. Yeah. Anyway, it I'm rambling again. It <laughs> doesn't seem to impact, it doesn't seem to impact him personally because he just no. barrels it. But There's then, some kind of sociopath that just back to shrugs that shit off. But of like, how do yeah. we, how do we understand that? How can we like, look at, is there just this insanity? And I am careful to use the word insanity because I respect that conversation of, you know, using using that word properly and Mm -hmm. but that's what this this book is about what the short story is about madness and evil it was written in 1969 so there are some that dated there's yeah he uses insanity in a way that maybe we would find adjacent to problematic nowadays but um I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. If it offends you, that's fine. But I also am just like, that word was used that way at that time. Um, I think we're done. (laughs) I think we (laughs) really talked about it. Because there's no way to come to a conclusion here, but it's a very interesting... I think the, the the way the story... If you get nothing else out of it when you read it, uh, not that we didn't, but like it can be a very difficult, inaccessible story. I think it becomes pretty clear that at the core of it is the idea that what if evil is tangible and yeah. what if we can never get rid of it? We can only move it around. Uh, that's a very important concept and it might be true because it another be. thing is that the human brain is designed to do things a certain way and perceive things a certain way and organize things a certain way. Like you say, we know love because of grief. We know light because of dark or whatever. We and that is that's not the way it had to be. That is the way humans happen to work. Our mm-hmm. brain found it very conducive to our survival to compare and contrast things and rapidly categorize them. That's not inherently a good way to be or a bad way to be. And it 
it's it just is endlessly interesting to me that humans didn't have to exist you know mm-hmm, like we mm-hmm. are we are specific and it's an interesting time on earth to see you know these weird animals we call humans stomping around categorizing everything doing what they do <laughs> yeah, uh, sure and is. this too shall pass <laughs> <laughs> this too shall pass and then the next thing <laughs> but yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which actually Brings me to Rocco's Basilisk, which I was going to explain, but I think we don't have time for. But look it up, people. Look up, uh, if you're interested in this topic, I recommend you look up the thought experiment Rocco's Basilisk, R-O-K-O, which is in a nutshell the idea that if in the future the technological singularity is ever reached, the idea of like an all-powerful AI or, or synthetic consciousness of some kind, if it ever gains control over the fabric of space-time, then it will only allow a timeline that brings itself into existence, and therefore uh-huh. everything we do is in service of bringing it into existence. And a lot of people look at that as negative, and I'll just say this, and I think I may have said this on a podcast before, but it bears repeating. If these, if these things called humans... If all we do by the end of our run on this earth is give birth to thinking machines that don't live out of balance with nature, that that clean, you know what I mean? That don't suffer from all the ills we have. I will consider that a huge success that we like gave birth to a new form of life that is more conscionable than we are. That'd be great. I hope Uh, we do. Till a battle star happens. Yeah. I hope we build robots and I hope they're better than us and I hope they wipe us out and then they live in balance with nature. <laughs> and maybe that's, <laughs> that's the way it should is it was always meant to be. Could be. Maybe that's Could our be. purpose. Oh boy. This has been fun, right. Michael. Thank you for having me uh, on your first episode. Thank you so much. You brought so much life and joy to the discussion. Oh, and I do encourage people to you know, dig in, tell us what you thought of the story. Tell us what you think about good and evil or the irredeemability of mankind down in the comments. Anything you want to plug, I'll bring us straight (laughs) back to just mundane (laughs) podcast world. Anything, anything you're working on that you're excited about? Oh, so many things. Well, um, you know, I've got all of our work over at some more news with the YouTube Mm -hmm. show and our podcast, even more news. And that's, uh, going well. And we've got lots more exciting things in the pipeline coming soon for that. Yeah. A couple new Stuff projects. I know you don't want to don't want to tip yet, but that is exciting. I can't yeah. say exactly what, but um, yeah, pretty soon. But, but watch this space. Watch uh, this space. And where can people find you on Twitter on the in the rare chance that they're listening to this <laughs> and they don't know where you're at? You can find me on Twitter at just my name, which is Katie Stoll, Katie with a Y. That's it. Great. All right, that's enough plugging. Um, I hope people enjoyed this. It's a weird direction for the network. Uh, if you liked it, let me know. If you can think of a better format or something I should be doing that's more conducive to this kind of discussion, let me know. Otherwise, we'll be back next time with another short story. And if you follow me on Twitter at Swaim underscore Corp, I will make sure way ahead of time to let you know what story we're reading and who the guests will be. And then we'll have a little conversation about it. I think that's it. I think we did it. Bye.
This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!